We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. And when we say God glorified, what we mean is that we exist for the purpose of seeing God receive praise, worship, honor, glory, credit, and fame. We believe that he is due. And so we want to spend our lives, our words, everything pointing back to Jesus. Right? It's why when you come here, we say our one desire is that when you leave here, that you'll marvel at Jesus more. that we chose the name Emmaus, the vision of our church is that we want to be a people who declare who Jesus is from all of the scriptures, that we talk about him, we proclaim him here in this pulpit, we do it in our kids ministry, through our songs, through our confessions, through the scriptures that we read, we do it with our neighbors and with our co-workers and with our children at home, that we are a people who declare who Jesus is and that as Jesus is being declared. Hearts are burning with the truth of who he is and eyes are being opened to believe it and there's faith being planted in the hearts of men and women. We want to see this transformation take place in people all across our city. That's what we're about. That's what we will spend ourselves on as long as God sees fit to leave a church called Emmaus in existence. Take your Bibles. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. Say Revelation 19. This is Christmas Sunday. We're supposed to be in Luke 2, right? It's where we're supposed to be today, but it is not. We're in Revelation 19 today on Christmas Sunday. Maybe the only Christmas sermon you ever hear preached from Revelation 19. Maybe the only time I ever preach a Christmas sermon from Revelation 19. Oh, here we go. We're going to give it a go, and I believe it's a beautiful word for us. We're spending four weeks looking at the advent of Jesus. Four weeks looking at the advent of Jesus, the the advent of Jesus, the coming, the the appearing of Jesus. And and we're focusing primarily on the the first advent, the first coming of Jesus. That that he came, that he was born in a manger, that that he grew and he lived perfectly, that he died sacrificially, and that he rose victoriously from the dead for our salvation. And so we've been looking at this over the last two weeks, and we'll continue this today and then next week as well. And my task for us today, the the, kind of tagline I've been entitled with today is this, that, that we want to look at the incarnation, right? The incarnation being that Jesus, God, became man while still being God. We want to look at the incarnation as glory. As glory. There is an infinite supply of things we could look at within the incarnation that is glorious. We've done such in the last couple weeks. Two weeks ago, Pastor Sam walked us through the incarnation as God's revelation, that God revealed himself to us in the incarnation and Jesus becoming man and God becoming man. He reveals himself to us. He shows himself. He speaks to us. He gives himself to us. And that is glorious. We could revel in that week after week after week as we do here at Emmaus week after week. The glory of God revealing himself to us in Jesus. Last week, Pastor Ronnie talked about the incarnation as humility. The glory that God came humbly 
that he humbled himself, taking on the form of man, and then served even to the point of death for us. And we see the glory of God in that. Next week, Pastor Adam is going to talk to us about the incarnation as salvation. The incarnation as salvation, that Jesus came, was born in a manger, grew um, as a child, lived perfectly, walked humbly, died sacrificially so that he might work out our salvation, so that he might offer you and I salvation. And that is glorious. Today, I want to turn our attention from, turn our gaze from the first advent to the second advent. From the first appearing of Jesus, from the first coming of Jesus to the second coming of Jesus. Because I believe in doing so, it will help us see even more of the glory of Jesus in the first coming. Right, That we will see even more beauty and glory and have more worship for God that he came and he was incarnated. That he became a man in the first advent. We'll believe that and see that even more when we look to the second advent and see what he does in the second advent. Who he is there. And how the two relate to each other. Now let me say this as just a pastoral note. In the last few weeks, the pastors of Emmaus have been presented more pastoral counseling situations than I remember ever in my 20 years of pastoral ministry having in such a short time. Issue after issue, trouble after trouble, problem after problem coming. From abuse to marriages that are ending to to alcoholism to multiple wrestles with suicide. From the members of our church walking through these things. Today's text, today's topic were chosen before this. And I believe it's the beauty of the spirit working within the hearts of men to bring to us a text today that I believe is the absolute most encouraging text to these troubles. I believe there's no greater text within scripture to speak hope to our hearts than Revelation 19. So what I want us to do today is walk very briefly through Revelation 19 because we have children to skim over many of the gory details because they are there and we have children and to look to the pastoral exhortation of what we're about to see for us to find hope in Jesus, the glory of the second advent so that we might see the glory of the first advent so that we might worship him for who he is and what he has done. So with that being said, I'm going to read Revelation Chapter 19, verses 11 and following, and then we will come back and we will break it apart. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, 
arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called out to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war um, against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who was in his presence had done these signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. And the two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Merry Christmas. Verse 11, right? Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and righteousness he judges and makes war. Right? The man is appearing on the white horse. Now, I don't have time to go into all the history and all the images and all the things that are taking place in the book of Revelation. If you're interested in a wonderful look at Revelation, a dear friend of ours named Tim Hopp, who's a pastor down in First Baptist Nixa, recently preached through the whole book of Revelation. I'd encourage you to go listen to it if you want an excellent exhortation through the book of Revelation. When I asked him why he preached, he said, I wanted to study it. And so he chose to preach it, and I thought, that's gutsy. And he did it, and it's beautiful. Go listen to it if you want more information. But the writer, what we have here is John having a vision of the things to come. A vision of the judgment and a vision of Christ coming. And he sees Christ riding on a white horse. If you remember, when Christ came in humility in the first advent, he doesn't ride to his death on a white horse, rather humbly on a donkey. He came in humility in the first advent, but in the second advent, he comes in victory. He comes conquering. He comes on the horse, the war horse, to make war. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. In John 14, he has promised us he will return, and he is holding true to that. He is faithful and true to his promises, and he is returning And this warrior king judges and makes war in righteousness. He judges and makes war in righteousness. He is about to totally devour all who stand in opposition of him. There will be no one left who has not pledged allegiance to Christ. No one escapes this war. No one escapes his wrath. You say, this sounds cruel. That sounds unjust. The scriptures tell us that it is a righteous war that he is waging. Poitras says this, the wars of earthly enemies typically leave much unjust suffering and destruction in their wake. 
this war, however, is utterly just because of the supreme power and justice of the one who wages the war. Right? Because Christ Jesus has supreme authority, because he is the supreme judge, because he is the good judge, the true king, the just ruler, because he is utterly righteous in and of himself, the war which he rages will not leave any unjust. It will not leave any unjust happenings. It will not leave any unjust suffering. Rather, all who perish in this war justly deserve to do so because of their unrighteousness and their lack of faith in Christ. And all who do not perish in this war rightly deserve to not perish, not because of their own righteousness, but because they've been made righteous by the blood of Christ, by their faith in Jesus. There is a just war and the results of it will be just And it is a required war. In Revelation 21, 27, two chapters later, it gives us an image of the new heaven and the new earth, a place where there is no evil, there is no wickedness, there is no sign of sin. And it says there, nothing unclean will ever enter it. For nothing unclean to enter it, all that is unclean must be wiped away. And so Jesus wages a just and righteous war to end all that is unclean so that the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity will have no sign of uncleanness in them. Verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Right? His eyes are like a flame of fire, the ability to pierce the soul and to judge the heart, scripture tells us. Upon his head are many diadems, many crowns. He's legitimate, has the legitimate claim to the throne. He is the king. He holds supreme authority. And there's a name written that no one else knows but himself. Some commentators believe that this is the name that he will give us as believers. We don't know for sure. And I love that there's even the beauty that within his revelation, there is still mystery. There's still unknown. There's still to be learned, information to be learned. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. The word of God, Jesus, John 1 tells us. The word of God is Jesus. This is Jesus on the horse returning with a fire in his eyes and blood On his robe. Whose blood? Whose blood? I believe it's the blood of his enemies. I believe it's the blood of his enemies. In Isaiah 63, 2 through 3, it says, I have trodden the winepress alone. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. I believe that Jesus is coming with the blood of his enemies upon his robe. In Revelation chapter 5, we get a glimpse of Jesus. John sees him. And when he sees Jesus in Revelation 5, Jesus is the lamb who was slain. But now in Revelation 19, he's a warrior who will slay. He sees him in his might and in his power, the blood of his enemies upon his robe. Verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, 
white and pure, were following him on white horses. The armies of heaven were following him on white horses. Who were these armies? Well, often in Scripture, the armies of heaven, and most of the time in Scripture, the armies of heaven are the, the angels, the angelic force. Perhaps that's the case here. Perhaps that's, that's part of the case here. But, but I believe that what he's referring to are the saints. Those who have been saved by the blood of Christ. And I believe that because here he uses the same word that they're arrayed in fine linen as he used earlier in the chapter in 19, chapter 19, verse 8, when he's referring to the church. And then he also in 17:14 says, it's talking about a glimpse of this war, and he says, those with him are called and chosen and faithful. A description of the church. That the church rides with him on white horses into the battle to wage war on all that is evil, on all that is wicked. Verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. From his mouth comes a sharp sword to take down the nations, to strike down the nations. In John 1, we see the mouth of Jesus speak life into the world. In John 11, we see the mouth of Jesus speak life into the dead body of Lazarus. In Ephesians, we see the words of God speak life into dead souls. Spiritually dead. Here in Revelation 19, it is not a word of life, but a word of death that it speaks. The same mouth that spoke all things into creation will snuff out life instantly. He will rule them with a rod of iron. In Psalm 2, 9, he says, you will break them to pieces with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Again, Isaiah 63, that we read, this final judgment, this final destruction. What we are seeing is this vision that Jesus will leave none who oppose him alive. That with his wrath and with his justice, he will strike at all who are wicked and evil, all who are unrighteous, all who have not trusted Jesus. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This war is just, and this war is good, and this war is right, because he is the supreme authority of all things. And then in 17 through 21, we get a glimpse of what is about to take place. That an angel stands in the sun and calls to the birds of the sky, come for a horrific feast. Come and feast upon the flesh of all men, slave and general, king and peasant. Come feast. And then church, there is no war. The great war to end all wars is no war at all. There's no struggle. There's no back and forth. The army that follows with him, whether that's angels or whether that's the church, the army that follows with him actually has no point to be there other than to witness the victory of its king. 
There's no conflict. The armies rise against him. When the nations see the king come on his white horse, they gather the armies and they come out to make war. And there is no war because the word of his mouth simply speaks death and there is death. He says to be to cease all life and all life ceases. The baby who lies in a manger crying for milk will one day with that same voice speak death to all who oppose him. The baby who is dependent upon his mother to keep him warm will one day strike down all wickedness and evil with nothing more than the word of his mouth. Tim Hopps says, once again, Jesus is coming, but it will not be his blood that is spilt this time. He comes to spill the blood of his enemies. <laughs> why? Why, Josh? Why preach this on Christmas Sunday? Or why, why this text? I believe to understand the full glory of the incarnation in the first advent, we must understand the glory of the second advent, the return of the king. The infant is now the immortal. The humble is now the powerful. The sacrifice is now the one who will slaughter. The servant is now the king. The child of peace is now the glorious warrior. And Jesus is coming as a warrior king to destroy all who oppose him. And I pray that we will remember the first, as we remember the first advent, advent this Christmas, we will turn our gaze to the second advent and eagerly await the return of this king. You see, the two play so hand in hand. The reason these are so important for each other is because it's because Jesus came in humility in the first advent that we can look to his second advent in hope. It's because Jesus came as a lamb in the first advent that we can confidently await his return as a lion in the second. It's because Jesus came to give his blood in the first that we can be assured that it is not our blood on his robe in the second. Since Jesus came as a baby in the first advent, we can bow to him as our king in the second. God's humble revelation of himself and his sacrificial death for our salvation enables us to look to the second advent with hope. Church, you can look to it with hope. When we sing, come thou long expected Jesus, many of us sing it in retrospect as the Jews would have for thousands of years. Come thou long expected Jesus. They didn't know who he was, but come Messiah, come free us from all the bondage the world has put upon us. But church, today we don't sing it in retrospect for Jesus has come. We sing it looking to the future, begging him to come soon. Come thou long expected Jesus, come now free us from the bondage the world has put upon us. Free us from the pain and the wickedness and the evil. Free us from it. Do you long for him? Do you expect him? To the unbelievers in this room, total destruction of all who oppose King Jesus is certain. There's no escape for the unrighteous. You cannot fight him forever. One day he will open his mouth and destruction for all of his enemies will come forth. 
there is also total salvation offered to you today. Total destruction for the unrighteous is certain, but total salvation for those who trust in Jesus is just as certain. Jesus came to us, born as a baby, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose a victorious resurrection from the grave so that he may save you. And if you put your faith in his shed blood and his resurrection, you will have salvation so that that day of judgment, it is not your blood upon his robe, but you upon the white horse following him. There is hope for you. If you believe, trust in Jesus. And then to the believers in the room. The second coming is our assurance of life. You're not the one whose blood will be shed that day. The promise of Christ's coming and the vision of it being real is our hope, our assurance that there is life for us. Beyond the pain, beyond the heartache, and beyond the trouble of today, there is life in Jesus. Which means, church, that whatever evil seems to hold your life in its hands today will be destroyed completely. Whatever evil seems to hold your life in its grasp today, it will be destroyed completely. The sin that you're fighting and confessing but can't find freedom from. The shame that surrounds you, smothering you in its suffocating grip. The fear of man that you are enchained by. The sickness within your body, the pain and the disease and the destruction that make you want to give up on life and doubt the very kindness of Jesus. The sin that is infecting your children, enticing them with greed and with power and with self-preservation. The suffering that your children are enduring, living in fear and in hurt and in pain. The death facing your family. Perhaps this is your first Christmas without a loved one, or perhaps you anticipate it being the last with. The death facing your family. The betrayal, the hurt, the wounds you have received from your friends or your parents or your spouse the abuse that you have undergone, physical, emotional, sexual, that has crippled you for years. The overwhelming sense that injustice, that the injustices of our days will win out. That death of millions of unborn children, the slavery of millions of our children, the hunger of millions of our fellow brothers and sisters will never be defeated. They'll never get better. Christian, look. Look up because the king is coming. And the king is coming to destroy all that opposes him. He is coming with the sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes. He is coming with blood on his robe and there will be no fight. There will be no struggle. He'll open his mouth and all evil and wickedness will vanish. That day is coming, church. Pain will be no more. Intimidation will be no more. Slavery will be no more. Starvation will be no more. Murder will be no more. Rape will be no more. Lust will be no more. Greed will be no more. Racism will be no more. Hatred will be no more. Fear will be no more. Shame will be no more. Death will be no more because the king is coming. He is coming and he will have victory. And that victory is yours because he came humbly as a baby to live and to die for your salvation. Praise God for the first advent. 
apart from which we would all look to the second advent with the fear of certain death. Praise God for the second advent, for King Jesus will rule forevermore. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus has come and Jesus will come. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your promise to us. We thank you that you have come and that you will come. So today, two days before the day that we celebrate your birth, may this be so fresh upon our hearts. May we look not simply back to the manger, but we, may we look forward to the king. May we find hope and life in that. In church, every week we conclude our time in the word with communion. And we come and we tear off bread and we dip it in the juice and we take it to remind ourselves that Christ has come, that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will return. Today as you take, may you remember the blood that he shed for you. May your mind be aware of the blood of his enemies that he will destroy. May we take in celebration of his first and his second coming. Merry Christmas, church. The King is coming. Come and take. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.